As a preacher, there are a number of ways to evaluate your message. You can do that yourself. You can depend on other people to do that for you. I know a lot of preachers judge the effectiveness of a message by how people put it into practice. In other words, if somebody says to you, good sermon, well, that's, I appreciate that, say thank you and, and all of that, and receive it graciously, of course. Uh, but when somebody says, you know, the sermon you preached caused me to make a change, to stop doing something I shouldn't have been doing, or to start doing something that I wasn't doing. And judging the effectiveness of uh, our series on Sunday mornings of Just Like Jesus, you know, we, we started out with humble yourself. You know, you got to humble yourself and think less of yourself. And, you know, uh, from that measure, uh, in terms of people coming and saying, I put that into practice, uh, I guess it wasn't very effective. Um, the, uh, the sermon on um, uh, being a servant, you know, uh, all of these points and examples of, and verses about why and how and how we should serve and why Jesus served and why that causes us to serve, yeah, not very much. Develop disciples that we need to be going and reaching the lost and developing people who, who don't know Jesus and developing them, making them into disciples of Christ and following him and teaching them the word. Crickets. But if I could tell you the effectiveness of this morning's sermons based upon the number of people who have proudly come up to me and said, I took a nap this afternoon. Uh, apparently there was revival in the church when I talked about rest. So, on Sunday nights, we are in a, a textual series. So is our kind of our habit and tradition to, to, to pour through some text and just go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, line by line. And uh, I hope that it is efficacious for you. I hope it's helpful. I hope it challenges you. And as we look at the book of Luke... We're thinking about Jesus' life, his ministry, and the lessons that we learn from all that. So if you're, if you're turning in your Bibles, if you're following along in the text, uh, you want to join us tonight uh, in Luke chapter 5, 17 through 26. As, I, as you turn to Luke chapter 5, I, I want to ask you, have you ever had a day that you will never forget it for the rest of your life? It just just one of those days, an experience, something happened where it was just, I mean, in, indelibly burned upon your conscience. It will forever be there till your dying breath. The, this memory of this moment or this day or this experience will be with you. Maybe it was the day uh, that you were married or maybe it was the day you were baptized into Christ. Maybe it was the day that your children were born. Uh, all of those, of course, would be big days. But, but, and it, of course, those are all good things, but <clears throat> they're also the examples of the, the terrible things. Uh, the day when a, a terrible accident happened, tragedy struck, something you didn't see coming. In, in any case, on the good or the bad, it's, it's a part of you now. It's, it's something which you will never forget. Something about those experiences shape who you are forever. They just become a part of who you are and how you function and how you look at things. Tonight, we're, we're going to look at one of these kind of stories that, that I think for everyone involved, it will be one of the moments that none of them would forget. Luke chapter 5, 
17 through 26. As we read together from the scripture, and I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. One of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. We talked about this. A lot of people, Jesus has been doing a lot of healing by now. And we understand that uh, that drew crowds of people who had something to be healed from. Verse 19. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down in the midst of his, uh, and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question him, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, son, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have, seen, we have seen extraordinary things today. One translation says, we have seen remarkable things today. This is what the, this line is saying. This is one of those moments when no doubt the crowd who saw it, the friends who brought them, the man, the man who was paralyzed, obviously, and even Jesus himself, had a remarkable experience. They said, we have seen remarkable things today. I want to look at three things that they saw and that maybe that we see in the text. The first is they saw faithful friends. Now, of course, everyone wanted to, to get something from Jesus. I mean, that was once a guy could do what they knew he could do, then Jesus was in the position of being able to be constantly and continually asked, what can you do? How can you help me? The Pharisees wanted to hear his teaching, and, and the sick wanted to have his healing. But, but the friends, the men who brought this man, instead of wanting to get something from Jesus, they wanted to get someone to Jesus. And I really like that. Proverbs chapter 18, 24 says uh, that there are many companions and they may bring a person to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I don't know if you have friends like that. If you do, you're blessed. And in all likelihood, you probably don't have very many friends that you would consider basically closer than family. 
But these men showed their deep love for their friend by bringing the man, the paralyzed man, to Jesus. My question is not how many friends like that do you have, but how many people are you a friend like that to? How many people would consider you closer than a brother? And how many of them on judgment day will stand and say, I know Jesus and Jesus knows me because of my friend? It's a good lesson for us to consider. These men wanted not just to get something out of Jesus. They, their friendship was shown by wanting to get someone to Jesus. And may we keep that in mind with our own Friendships. This is a wonderful example, by the way, of biblical faith. I have to qualify faith with biblical because the, the word faith is so often misunderstood amongst religious people. Uh, just the this, this simple idea that I can intellectually acknowledge or ascend to something and, and say, just because I believe it here, then I have faith. Biblical faith has never been demonstrated or shown. Uh, you can't even describe it without without lending some sort of action. Abraham believed God. How do we know he believed God? Because when God said, go and go into a country that you do not know, when he went and when he called him to take his only son, whom he loved, who he had waited for for many years, he took him the next morning. We know Abraham had faith because of his actions. Of course, James chapter 2 tells us many times that faith without works is dead. That the two are inextricably connected and linked forever. You say you have faith in God or faith in Jesus, but that requires something. You understand that? That's not just saying I believe in Jesus or I believe in God. But you have to modify your actions in a way that show that you believe in God or that you believe in Christ. These men showed their faith in Jesus by picking up their friend. And in in this culture, often the roofs were flat and they would have stairs that led up on the outside so that you could use the roof, not just as a roof for protection, but as a, a, a place to recline and to look out and all of that. These men showed their faith when they picked up their friend by his mat and hauled him up the stairs and began to remove the tiles in the roof. All of those actions were evidence of their faith. Jesus saw their faith. Faith is, is trust in the unseen to a point that you move to action. Uh, these, these men probably didn't know Jesus personally, and probably didn't have any understanding of how he would be able to heal their friend. But they trusted enough to take up their friend up the stairs and remove the tiles and lower their friend down. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, defines faith in this way. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then the writer of Hebrews provides the entire chapter of examples of people who had faith, and here's how we know. They had faith because they did something with what they knew or what they trusted. James chapter 2.14, what good then is it, my brothers, if one claims to have faith but has no deed? Can such a faith save them? A rhetorical question, obviously. 
there, there is no such thing as faith, true biblical faith, without action. So my question is, in addition to your friends and the people that you would consider closer than a brother, do they see that kind of faith in you? You say, well, I, I go to church and I, you know, I, that's not what I ask. I, do they see faith in you that your actions demonstrate a trust and a belief that Jesus is Lord? Jesus saw their faith. Jesus saw faithful friends and as did the crowd around them. The second thing they saw was a rare rabbi. Luke chapter 5, um, they kind of step aside and uh, Luke writes this in verse uh, 20. And when he saw their faith, we just talked about that, and he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Okay. The, the, the scribes and the Pharisees at this point are, are locking up. They're, they're, they're stiffening real hard because, because no one can forgive sins except God. And here's a man that they know as a rabbi and a teacher, and he just said that your sins are forgiven. They inquire, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, you and I need to understand. It's hard for us to understand because we live in a world where God's name is derided and misused and used as a common everyday name and occurrence. We hear it all the time in television, entertainment, Netflix. I mean, you hear even Bible-believing God, uh, people who claim to be God-fearing use God haphazardly. God's name in their time was to be so revered that it was impossible for any of them to... I mean, anyone who equated themselves as a human being being able to do what only God could do was blasphemy in and of itself. You don't think it was serious. Mark chapter 14, verses 63 and following... Now, right before this, Jesus has said, You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. This would be the point in which they would say, All right, now we're okay with crucifying him. Okay, so, so, so this statement that Jesus makes in Luke chapter 5 is no small thing. Unless he can do it. If you're a, a sports fan, follow a team, great athlete or something, eh, those guys that play at the professional level have typically have pretty good-sized egos. Because they can. Now, if you can't live up to your talk, then that's a different story. But, but for these guys who can perform and, 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 and deliver the goods and, and deliver the wins time after time, uh, 
well, they've earned the right, the bragging rights, so to speak. Someone once said, it's not bragging if you can do it. All right. It's the case here. It's not blasphemy if Jesus can do it. How do we know that? We continue. Uh, When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? Now, think for just a second. uh, Between those two statements, if, if you wanted to claim that you were the Son of God, and, and there was a paralyzed, legitimately paralyzed person. Which would be easier to say? Would it be easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or rise and walk? I think they're both equally kind of hard to say. But if I was a charlatan, it would be easier to say, son, your sins are forgiven. Because the moment I say to that paralyzed man, rise and walk. Now, there's only one of two options that is going to happen. He's going to get up and rise and walk, and you will have a definitive miracle, or you're going to be mortified and embarrassed, as well you should. Jesus here says, uh, which is easier? And I think maybe they would say neither, but giving great graciousness to them, they might say it's easier to say your friend's sins are forgiven. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise and pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. The, the miracles that Jesus did, the healings that he did, make for great VBS stories and wonderful children's training hours and even good sermons. But that wasn't the purpose or the reason that Jesus did them. Jesus did them for a purpose. Uh, you have to go to the book of John where Jesus clarified this the most. John chapter 10, verse 37 Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, or at least believe the evidence of the miracles themselves, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. At the end of John, chapter 20, verse 30, John himself says, Jesus himself performed many other signs. I didn't write them all down, but... These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Mission of the great physician was not to heal the paralysis of the body or the sickness of the body. But the mission of the great physician was to to heal the paralysis of the soul. Now, he healed the first, the the sickness in the body. He did that for a few people. We have a a few of them written down. Not all of them written down, but, but he did some. But he did that so that he might heal the greater sickness, the spiritual sickness of sin in all. That they might have the opportunity to believe and have faith in him. 
And think about it. When Jesus was here, could not he have worked out a very efficient process by which he healed people from all the physical suffering in the world? I mean, just at the first miracle, I mean, boom, water to wine, and they, they instantly, his, his disciples say, you know, we, 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 you can do some things here. Let's just start lining up all the sick people and just, just keep them rolling. We'll give you about, you know, five or six hours of sleep, and you just heal them. Boom, 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 boom. I mean, Jesus could have worked out a system where he healed all of the sickness, all of the suffering physically in the flesh in this world. But he didn't because that wasn't his greater purpose. And even then, that would only have been a temporary healing. All those people aren't even all the ones who were who were in here that we talked about, they're dead now. Okay? Eventually all of them in the flesh would die. But Jesus was on a larger mission. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. Jesus was did some physical healing, but he had a he was on a bigger mission than what they saw. The third thing that they saw, the last thing that we'll talk about tonight, is total transformation. So this this man immediately stands up, immediately he rose up before them and picked up what had been what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God. They were filled with awe, saying, We have seen remarkable, extraordinary things today. Jesus did for the man what he could not do by himself. And the man did not remain on the mat. The man took what he had been, the, the, the mat that he had been lying on, you see, Jesus never left things the same. He always made them better. The water became wine. The sick became well. The possessed received peace. The fishermen became teachers. The lost became found. The dead came out of the tombs. Do you want to know if Jesus is present in a person's life? This, this, this is a very simple test is this. Do you see improvement in what's happening in their in their life do you see transformation no transformation no jesus jesus loves everyone as they are but he loves them far too much to leave them as they are this man went home praising god the man was well known by his friends and even by strangers for what he could not do Every interaction from from his whole life up to the point where he met Jesus was always based on the idea of so many things which he could not do. But this man now leaves taking his mat with a powerful testimony of what God had done in him. For the first time ever, that man walked home and back to his city where everyone knew him for what he couldn't do, and now he is evidence of only what God can do. His body was evident of God's power. His heart was full of God's praise. Psalm 119 says, May my lips overflow with praise, for you teach me your decrees. May my tongue sing of your word, for all your commands are righteous. We sang that tonight. 
He gave me a song. I, I wonder, do you, do you have a song? I, I didn't ask if you could sing. That's a far different question. But do you have a song? Do you have a praise in your heart and coming off of your lips? When the crowd, when other people saw the man who had been healed praising God, they respond in kind. Holy praise, H-O-L-Y, is holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, contagious. Holy praise is holy, contagious. And that's, that's our takeaway for tonight. May your praise overflow. That man, whoever he was, his name we do not know, only his story, but he was never, ever the same because of Jesus. Now I ask you, for a Sunday night crowd, uh, my assumption is the majority of which are followers of Jesus, how have you been changed? How have, has your life been transformed? Does Jesus, does your friends see the kind of faith that was demonstrated in Luke chapter 5? In Luke's second account, the book of Acts, he records uh, this, uh, a story of a different healing, but of a man who was also paralyzed, lame, and afflicted. This time it wasn't by Jesus, but by Peter and John. And, and that healing, much like this one, was so remarkable that I'm sure that everyone who saw him after that was changed forever. The enemies of God tried to muzzle the story because there was this man who had been changed that they couldn't explain. And I, I just want to read what Luke writes in his second book. Acts chapter 4, verse 18 and following. So they called them, Peter and John, and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, and whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And in the spirit of Peter and John, I want to ask you to not let the enemy muzzle you. If you have met Jesus, then I have no doubt that you have been transformed by Jesus. And that story needs to reverberate all throughout your life. Uh, don't you know that from that moment forward, that all throughout his life, that man told a story about a rabbi who changed everything in him and about him. Don't you know that his entire life reverberated with the story of Jesus? For you and I, the lesson is the same. If we've been changed, if we've been transformed, who are we to do any less than to speak and not be able to help speaking about what we have seen and heard? May we overflow with all of the good and all of the change that God has done through us. And may we let that praise overflow in our life and in our hearts and certainly out of our mouths. Tonight, if you do not know Jesus, the man who changes everything, the man who leaves no one the same, your transformation can begin tonight. Now, I cannot offer you the physical healing that Jesus did. Those gifts died long ago in the church. But I can, I can offer you the same, actually, much better, higher 
radically more powerful transformation, the transformation of the heart, which Jesus still offers today to you and I. If you are not in Christ, if you do not know Christ, if he does not know you, that can change tonight by simply having faith in Christ, going back to what we said at the very beginning, biblical faith, demonstrated faith. Jesus said, if you believe in me, repent and be baptized and you'll be saved. If you're ready to trust Jesus, to have faith in Jesus, then, then do that tonight. Believe in Jesus and be baptized into him if you're ready to begin that journey. And if you started that journey, but something has not happened in you, transformation has not been evident, maybe you're in some sin that you need to repent of, maybe there's some things you need to quit, maybe some repenting that needs to happen. If you need that, please come. We'll pray with you and for you. If you have any need, please come now as together we stand and sing.